Welcome back to Insights from the Sahara. I'm your host, Media J. And welcome back. So we're going to make this, or hopefully, uh, I do ramble. We're going to try and make this a brief uh, episode where we just touch base on manufacturing in the continent, the importance of value chains, and how public policy can spur growth, right? So just to begin, right, uh, to provide a narrative, so to speak. So as brands continuously uh, look to diversify their supply chains and chase the best product at the lowest cost, the question often comes where to go next and how to work there successfully, right? So keep in mind, you know, Africa is on the list of, you know, or I would say the list of the next hot sourcing uh, locale, right? Um, But keep in mind that beyond that initial buzz, right, um, many brands, and this is from my personal experience, having, um, I may be young, but having networked and even when I was in D.C. uh, for the spring meetings, right, uh, World Bank and IMF, I talked to a lot of international business people and they told me, hey, you know, we're doing committees we're looking at deploying capital on the ground but you know what we still don't have a very clear understanding of how business is done on the continent and that's a reoccurring thing i'm hearing right is people are like yeah it'll be interesting but what i'm finding is that um we still have a long way to go as far as uh producing content and really projecting how business is done on the continent and providing a more clear uh, vision so that um, in the future, more FDI or foreign direct investment um, is provided and, um, you know, internal capacity is increased. So local manufacturing and just investment in general, you know, moves forward and we move our society forward. Um so before I kind of dive in, right, one of the words I said was hot sourcing locale. And as we're, this is going to be a manufacturing uh, episode, I probably should dive into what sourcing is, right? So pretty much sourcing, when I think about it, um, which is going to go textbook, is a procurement strategy aimed at exploring global efficiencies in production, which pretty much means you know, produced at the lowest cost, right? I.e. sourcing a process of contracting a business um, function to someone else to be completed in-house, i.e. outsourcing, finding the lowest cost, once again, um, and pretty much a strategy for acquiring materials from countries with low labor and production costs. Once again, what we're talking about, the global economy, right? Um, You're selling, or your target market tends to be um, wealthy, developed nations, but you're producing a lot of this stuff in, you know, developing worlds. So then you tend to uh, look at your value chain and where you can move the manufacturing and all that's a very complicated process, but all of that goes into sourcing, right? Once again, I'm not a manufacturing guy, we're just gonna do a light touch. All right, so moving forward, um, so, what makes actually you know what I want to circle back to something which is so fundamentally important to what we're talking about here, right? Is once again I've had many conversations, right? Not even just with foreign uh, business leaders, but with African banking CEOs, right? Um, I've spoken to a few, especially within the past few months, where uh, they have said they understand, you know, 
that um, interest rates are high. They will definitely, or at least what they told me, I'm pretty sure there's multiple sides to this raging debate here, but they'll definitely like to, of course, deploy more capital on the continent. But, you know, um, sometimes they just don't see uh, the right deal. So sometimes I feel like there is... um, there needs to be more transparency, uh, not just internationally uh, when it comes to deploying capital on the continent, but even internally, right, within nations, right? Um, you know, I've engaged with lots of venture capitalists uh, on the continent. Within the informal sector, there's lots of great opportunities for people to deploy capital, you know, and so sometimes it just comes down to, um, it comes down to exposure, right? And it comes down to um, just having uh, just having ecosystems in place in order to really um, help that capital move and for right investments to be seen. But I'll stop right there because, yeah, I could go into that all day. So getting back to the task at hand, right? What makes Africa ad- advantageous um, is that... Um, you know, the cost of producing uh, in Africa is low, right? Um, and many other, uh, re, you know, brands, uh, you know, source from Africa uh, due to lower costs, you know, plentiful uh, and high work, you know, high work ethic labor, which is an interesting thing I found out, but it's an actual thing, right? Just think about it. <laughs> Firms actually consider that, right? They consider this like the culture of the people, right? Because if you think about it, um, depend on. I'm not gonna get too deep into what region of the world, but there are certain cultures that are considered to work harder than others, and I just find that interesting. That 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 really factors into uh, manufacturing calculus. So so when I did that research, I like that's super interesting. Um, but yeah. So, and just to go on, you know, there's a myriad, there's um, one of the most interesting aspects that does draw uh, manufacturers is, I wouldn't say unlimited, but the continent has an abundance of green energy, right? So if you wanted to power a plant through solar power, you can do that, you know? So there's so many different things that can happen. Um, but once again, so we're going to keep that very brief because I want to just do an overview for tonight. All right, um, let's see here. So why is this all important, right? So let's go back. So for the past few decades, the um, true uh, manufacturing powerhouse in the, on the world has been China, right? Uh, they opened our doors to the world economy, what, back in the 70s, 80s, well, somewhere around the Nixon era anyways. Um, I wasn't born before then, so forgive me for missing a few dates. But somewhere in that general neighborhood. But they opened the doors. Lo and behold, decades later, they're now the second, um, you know, economy in the world. You know, GDP wise, um, the wealth is increasing. They've moved millions, hundreds of millions, of people of people out of poverty, primarily through manufacturing. But part of that is as all these people are being moved out of poverty and incomes are gradually starting to rise, what happens with the global manufacturing is that things shift, right? Global manufacturing always goes to the lowest cost uh, producer, right? Just helps to keep um, profits high and shareholders happy. Got to have the shareholders happy. So this provides a very unique uh, opportunity, right? Because 
Uh, never in history has such a massive nation like uh, China really been able to absorb so much of the world's uh, manufacturing uh, capacity. And now that um, this capacity is starting to uh, transition out of China and look for new low cost centers, you know, you have uh, some certain jobs going to um, Southeast Asian nations. You have certain jobs going to India. You have certain jobs even interestingly enough, going to Africa as well, right? And so keep in mind, Africa is a massive continent. So we're not going to talk about it as if, you know, you could just put your finger on a map and say, I'm going to build it there. No, there's multiple sub-regions of Africa and they all have their own characteristics, right? Uh, So before I dive into the main uh, thesis for the episode today or the main topic I wanted to really unpack, um, I'm just going to take a slight detour. And probably one of my more interesting um regions within the continent is the east african region right um or as their economic subregions known eac east african community right um They've had some of the best integration rates I've seen on the continent. Uh, not only that, they have a strong uh, minority population when it comes to Asians, uh, primarily Indians and Chinese, which allows for one more investment to come in from those home countries, which helps uh, domestic capacity as well. So those East African countries have a lot going for themselves. I'm even I'm talking to a few uh, VC firms and uh, just local investors that want to bring on the show eventually to really uh, get, provide with a more deeper dive as far as how they're deploying capital in those uh, economies and uh, just to kind of share some insights for any perspective investors looking to deploy capital in the future, right? Um, so once again, I wanted to keep things light. I don't want to go too deep. So um, as far as the overview goes pertaining to this overall episode, whenever you think East Africa, think, uh, you know, fairly good regional integration, I would say fairly stable politics especially for africa anyways um yeah so and they probably have the best tech on the continent you know uh, parts of kenya are known as uh you know the um the silicon savannah right and that's just for the fact that there's so much technology um innovation going on in east africa but once again i'm not gonna pack that that's for a different day all right, um, so just kind of uh, wrapping up there. Um, so I don't want to, uh, I guess, give the um, illusion that, you know, East Africa's or African uh, regions in general, their main partners are just in the East. No, there's still a lot of trade and investment that's done with Western nations. Uh, interestingly enough, the um, escalation of rel- or the, uh, I would say, the the ramping up of Chinese investment across the world uh, through the Belt Road Initiative. Um, not going to get too deep dive into there. Google it. <laughs> but um, as it pertains to Africa, right, it's really been, um, it's almost as if this is where the U.S. is choosing to kind of fall on, die, fall on, I don't know what's the correct terminology, is fall on the sword, die on the hill, but this is kind of the line that the U.S. is drawing, right? Whereas for a few decades, right, there's been economic partnership primarily um, 
one legislation, right, is actually the Africa Growth and Opportunity Act, right? I think this was enacted early 2000s. I was a kid. Uh, but early 2000s where it pretty much it allows for um, certain African nations that meet um, uh, stipulations set by the U.S. Congress uh, to then export their goods to the U.S., right? Just kind of uh, opening up a U.S. market to help absorb those African manufacturing goods and help hopefully spur uh, further innovations within our domestic uh, manufacturing capacity. So it's had mixed results, right? And so once again, I want to keep things very high level in the overview, so I don't want to take a deep dive into that. Maybe in a further episode. All right, um, let me see here. So, yeah. So before I move on to the final topic, just to kind of uh, finish wrapping up my initial thought. So we talked about East Africa. We talked about the Chinese influence. And one thing I wanted to touch on, because it's important, especially for my listeners, is that what you have to understand is... um, Especially if you're living in the West or primarily, especially if you're living in America, right? And uh, you're thinking about deploying capital in a continent like Africa, right? Yet, for the most part, it would be wise, from what I've gathered, to have a long-term view. Um, And two is don't be like the government. And uh, going with an antagonistic view, what you soon come to find out is that in the investment landscape um, or ecosystem, as you will, um, there's more uh, to be done in unison than there really is more headbutt. What I mean by that is uh, America media really kind of makes it out to think that it's either um, Chinese supremacy or American supremacy. But especially on the African continent, what you find is that Chinese investment and American or Western investment tend to go hand in hand, right? Whereas the Chinese are relatively comfortable dealing with local elites and government officials. So their projects tend to be large and public sector, public sector. American and Western investors, on the other hand, uh, they prefer, especially with their uh, stipulations, morality clauses, whatever, they prefer to uh, do smaller deals, more targeted deals, and those are more private sector to private sector, right? Um, And the reason I'm structuring it this way is that so as I bring more um, investors in and there'll be... um, there are going to be investors that uh, come from the East and come from the West. Uh, just providing you with this context uh, will help you better understand our investment philosophies and how they uh, intend to deploy our capital, right? So hopefully I think we've wrapped up everything. Uh, now to the last topic here, right? Is um, So interestingly enough, so Ghana's, Ghana's new president, um, Otto, um, he... Towards the beginning of his term, um, he came out with an initiative. It's called the One District, One Factory Initiative. I actually, um, so I heard about it at the inception of the administration, but I got a more detailed understanding of it when I uh, was conducting an interview with the um, Liberian ambassador, um, Magdala Cooper. You could take a look at that interview on my LinkedIn. It's actually the first interview in my Insights from the Sahara series. Um, but anyway, so she shows we had a great conversation about investment and just um, 
you know, public policy on the constant. She was pretty much stating that she wishes more Western African nations were like Ghana and trying to implement this policy, right? So you might be thinking, all right, enough with the suspense already. What's the policy? All right, Bob, show them what's... Okay, no, we're not going to do that. Okay, all right, so the policy, once again, is called uh, One District, One Factory Initiative. Um, and essentially is a project which aims to create a value-added industrialized economy with the development of at least one factory or enterprise in Ghana's 216 districts, driven primarily by the private sector, right? So let's just briefly unpack that. What are they really saying, right? So what they're really saying is that, hey, you know, we're tired of selling you our cocoa fruits, whatever you put on your ships and that's it. You know, we want that value added money too, right? We have aspirations. We're trying to secure the bag. Secure the bag 2019 hashtag. Yes? No? Maybe? Okay. We'll come back. Okay. All right. Um. So just getting a deeper dive uh, or really one more thing I wanted to add is what's interesting about this program when I really take a look at even just this initial uh, mission statement is the fact that they're referring to private sector and really to, uh, looking to deploy that capital or really organize, um, I would say, capacity on a very localized level. Keep in mind, Ghana is not a large country, so to go at a localized level for 216 uh, districts, what that tells me is that um, underlying this is a need to organize the informal sector, right? Um, which, once again, is a fairly sound strategy, especially when you factor in the fact that a lot of African nations um, are very lacking in their um, tax revenue collection uh, skills. Maybe they should phone the IRS. Those guys are on it. Anyways, um, so yeah, just want to give you a better understanding of that as well. So just to kind of wrap things up. So this project um, was instituted to address the challenges of slow economic growth within individual districts, and they plan on achieving this through a massive private sector industrialization drive to utilize local resources to manufacture domestic and international goods. Um, it is expected uh, to facilitate the creation of seven to fifteen thousand jobs per district, and between one point five to three point two million jobs nationwide by twenty twenty. All right. So um, in a follow up episode, I'm really going to take a deep dive and fact check that to see where our progress is. One thing we're working on the continent, African uh, leaders like to do a lot of big talking. But, you know, we're going to try to um, keep it rough, you guys, especially as the the primary point of this platform is to provide um, a fresh perspective for um perspective and buyers or yes for investors on the uh, continent who are looking to deploy capital but want a better narrative right this is what this platform is for so i believe in taking a deeper dive and saying uh this administration laid out this let's take a look and let's really take a look at the numbers right we have we're blessed to have local analysts in uh, many sub-saharan african nations i'll reach out to my local contact in both accra the capital city and kumasi our second largest and get a better accounting of what's going on on the ground for the next episode um so back at the target or back to the conversation at hand to kind of wrap things up here so there 
they're really targeting commodities, right? And so some of the target commodities they really have are cassava, wood, cocoa, sea salt, cashew, salt, poultry, soy, shea butter, plantain, orange, and rice. You're like, you might be thinking, bro, you know, what's with all these uh, natural resources? What's going on? I'm going to break it down to you. So raise your hand. Who was paying attention today? All right, go ahead. RJ, spit it. Okay. Well, if you was paying attention, then you probably would have picked up on the fact that, you know, this whole conversation was about value added and really having the developing nations take more uh, charge of the value added uh, additions to our products, right? And to move away from just being an extraction uh, nation and being a nation that's known for extraction and then maybe canning the goods and then shipping it out or something along those lines. Once again, I'm not a manufacturing guy, so we're not going to sit there and go uh, and take a deeper dive in. Okay, so I actually applaud this because um, if done right, um, it's going to severely increase the GDP. And this is probably why Ghana this year is probably one of the highest GDPs in the world. Once again, we'll have to take a deeper dive. This was just an overview. Um, Well, yeah, so I think I'm going to leave it there for now. Um, I know it's fairly different from what I normally do uh, with the interviews, but uh, I'm tinkling, I'm tinkering around, um, and I want to see, um, how you guys like me every now and then just having these sort of conversations and providing you guys with new, um, I guess things to just think about, right? Uh, food for thought anyways. So that's it. I think I'm gonna name it food for thought Tuesdays. <laughs> anyways, tell me what you guys think. Um, you could subscribe subscribe to this podcast and most major uh, outlets now. So that's uh, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or wherever it is you guys, uh, you weirdos consume. Uh, yeah, no, I'm kidding. Wherever uh, you guys consume your uh, podcast, right? So once again, um, my name is Media J. This is Insights from the Sahara. Over and out.